0: Hey, hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Biz Women Rock podcast. You're home for the very real, very authentic stories about how to grow purposeful businesses. I'm your host, Katie Kremitzos, and I'm so very excited that you're here. You know, I often use the strategy with clients called what's the worst case scenario? It's an exercise for them to play out the absolute worst possible outcome to something they're considering. To go all the way down that wormhole so they can ultimately see that the worst case scenario actually isn't that bad. It powerfully removes fear so they can start taking intentional action. But sometimes in business and in life, the worst case scenario actually does happen. And it's actually horrific and scary and it changes everything. Christine McAllister had the worst case scenario happen to her back in 2015 At that point, she had grown a very successful business and was pregnant with her first baby, Maeve. At 37 weeks pregnant, she went in for her routine checkup and was hit with the news that would forever change her life. The worst case scenario had happened and she and her business would never be the same. During our conversation, Christine shares the very personal and very touching story about what happened with Maeve and what happened to her and her business in the immediate aftermath. She also shares about what her trauma taught her about the business she was running at the time and how she ultimately gave herself permission to transition into something else that made her happier and chose to invest in herself in order to discover what exactly that was. What she discovered was that she lit up when she was helping women entrepreneurs create a business that they truly loved and one that supports the lives that they really want to live. And she does this now as a coach and mentor through her business, Life with Passion. She helps women who want to get out of their nine to fives and women who have created a new job for themselves in a business that they own, but that they don't necessarily love. So, she helps both of these types of women create businesses that allow them to truly thrive. Christine's advice to anyone who has gone through or is going through a hard time it's your choice on how you deal with what happens to you. And I can't wait for you to hear from Christine, a woman who has truly chosen to live her life with passion. Christine, what's going on, girl?
1: Hey, Katie, I'm so happy to be here.
0: This is a like multiple years in the making meetup, finally.
1: <laughs> yes! It's finally happening and you all get to be a part of it. Oh
0: my gosh. For you listening, this is just a call to find an excuse to reach out and talk in person or virtually to... The friends that you have made online because I swear I'm like, uh, oh, are like there's already a spark because we've been in each other's online online worlds for so long, and then all of a sudden, like, I mean, within a heartbeat, we're just like soul sisters, let's
1: <laughs> <laughs> got, all this,
0: got all this in common. So uh, I love it. I'm so excited to have you here. There's so much wisdom that I'm really looking forward to tapping into and sharing with my listeners here, but I really want to start right where. I think the, the major point of this story is, which is in early 2015, you had something incredibly serious and traumatic that you were experiencing in your life. Can you take us to that moment and what happened?
1: Yes. So in early 2015, I was expecting my first baby and I actually had gone through an infertility and early pregnancy loss journey before that. So infertility, infertility treatments, and three early miscarriages. And that had been going on for like a year and a half. And then I got pregnant and everything was perfect. Other than the fact that I felt like absolute crap (laughs) (laughs) and dealt with terrible symptoms the whole way through, including... Antenatal depression, which I didn't know was a thing. Uh, was I, uh, what's of. antenatal depression? I don't know it's what that when, is. It's when the hormones of the pregnancy make you very depressed in pregnancy. Oh wow! Oh, lovely. In, right, uh, <laughs> not after the baby comes. So I had I had been through it in this pregnancy, but on paper it was all normal. Everything was perfect. Okay. And so I'm 37 weeks, and I'm going in for one of my final checks, and I sit up on the table and the doctor can't find the baby's heartbeat Oof. on the Doppler. And so after much trying, she takes me to the ultrasound room where they call in the head doctor to do the ultrasound, who puts the ultrasound on and looks at me and says, your baby has passed away. Oh, Oh, my God. So in that moment, of course, everything changed. Yeah. Right? I had literally, the day before, finished back-to-back weekend baby showers that my family had come in for. And we had come home with the car seat and put it in the car because all there was to do was put up my tired feet and wait to go into labor. Yeah. And so it wasn't even like a blip on my radar that this could happen after a perfect pregnancy and having done everything I was quote unquote supposed to, right? Do they know what happened? No. Really? Yep. So in the, you know, all the events and the double checking and the this and the that, and eventually that same day, checking me into the hospital to start the inducement process, they told me that there was no obvious reason that they would look into everything after she was born and that they would run all the tests, but that it was likely they wouldn't find anything. And that that was true 50% of the time. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And that, that turned out to be the case. Like When all the tests came back on me, on her, on everything, everything was normal. So
0: you're sitting there, 37 weeks pregnant, just finding out that your baby is not alive anymore, and your body still has to go through the process of giving birth. Yes, whole. I mean, that's like an entire mountain of emotions on top of everything.
1: So, what yep. was that? What was that like? Well, I looked at my midwife and I said, I "Like, knock me out and wake me up when this is over. Like, I cannot imagine a more horrific situation. I, I want no part of this. And because." In that pregnancy, I had been all like, I have a birth plan. And I had gone through this really natural class called hypnobabies. And it was months long. And we were all into the meditation. I call
0: that the granola mama. I'm the granola mama.
1: Oh my gosh, 100%. I didn't know that I was going to be that way. And then I became that way. I had a doula. Like I was all into this. Yep. And so in a minute, everything that I thought the birth was going to be about changed Mm. right everything that I had prepared for and so I said just knock me out wake me up I'm done not here for this and she said well we can do that but it's going to be better for your grieving process if you are aware of what's happening Mm. and I mean this is like an hour after I found out what I was dealing with and that that my baby had died and at that point the shock was so great that it was complete. Just go along with what people say. Just yeah, go along with what people say. I don't know what, you know. You're numb at that point. Right, Yeah, right. So, I mean, over the next 36 hours, they had to prepare my body to deliver this baby that it was still hanging on to because she wasn't ready to be born yet. And then I went through a normal delivery, normal quote unquote, except you know, the mood was a little different. The people who they called in were trained. Everybody knew what they were dealing with. Wow. And it was all about, you know, making me as comfortable as possible because, I mean, unfortunately, there was no baby to monitor or protect.
0: Yeah. Wow. I mean, going through all of that, obviously, you, (laughs) anyone in any... Situation, most especially mothers like have an idea of like what's about to happen and the vision of the weeks and months ahead, and in relation to business, you had already had a business like you had already been an entrepreneur and owned your own company before that leading up to that. what did that change as far as how you were now ready to like think about business because i would imagine at that point you had sort of prepared your business to be away for a little while and you know everything was good like i can't imagine that you were like wanting to do anything so what what did that look like in the aftermath of everything in relation to your business
1: it's a great question i had been successfully running an online marketing agency for 10 years at that point so i had run it as a side hustle for 5 years Well, I was trying to give myself permission to walk away from my nine to fives that I hated. Mm -hmm. And then I had run it full-time for five years and was very successful. I never marketed my online marketing agency. (laughs) It was all booked out through referrals. I had this niche of people who loved me and it was just like rocking and rolling. I had had this niggling sense for a while that it was... Not the for everything for me, but I was comfortable. Yeah. And I had the freedom and I could do it from anywhere. And so I was just kind of comfortable enough not to change it, right? Yeah. Not to get uncomfortable or take the risks. So I had effectively like replaced my nine to five with something that kind of was like another one.
0: Yeah. You built yourself another job.
1: Yep. Yeah. Exactly. And so when. My daughter, we named her Maeve. So when Maeve was born, and I came home from the hospital, and we started trying to figure out how to put pieces of our life back together and begin having to tell people, like, oh, guess what? Yeah. This is the experience that I just went through. I was really struck by this realization that I wasn't scared anymore. I am a sensitive, intuitive feeler. I'm an INFJ on the Myers-Briggs for any of you geeks out there. (laughs) I am also an Enneagram type three achiever. So I think a lot of, you know, my work tied greatly into my worth and not that it doesn't still some, but it was like very tied up in having this taking care of my clients and taking care of my, my people. And, and suddenly I was unable to do that. Taking a shower is like a major accomplishment for me yeah. at that point. I didn't brush my hair. I did not care, you know? Yeah. So in some ways it gave me something to distract me when I needed it, that I could go in and do these little things. You know, people were more than happy to say, Oh my gosh, we don't need you. And I would be like, but no one can do it like me and I need something else to stop me from crying for a hot minute. Right. Um, In other ways, I went, I know this is not the thing and I really don't care what people think anymore because I can't. Yeah. I can't take care of them anymore. And that was true for my family relationships, for my friend relationships. Like I became a different person and I became a different kind of business owner. And that led me down the path of questioning, like, what is that next level? Yeah. Because mm, screw it. Right, I have why not? You have nothing, nothing to lose, yeah, yeah, nothing worse could happen to me. This is literally the worst thing I could ever imagine happening to me. Mm. You know, people say it's like, well, psychiatrists say for a lot of people, it's the worst loss if you're gonna categorize or create a hierarchy of grief, which I don't necessarily advocate for, but it's just so unnatural, yeah, that it turns everything upside down. You never expect this is going to happen, so. Long story short, I began to ask myself, how can I create more agency and more meaning in my life and for my daughter? Because I realized that the only way that I could parent her is to keep her memory alive and create some kind of legacy for her. Mm. Like that was going to be my job, right? And I wanted her to be proud of me and proud of the work that I was doing. And I wanted her to be famous because she wasn't going to be here to create any of that for herself. And so that really fueled my exploration of what was going to come next.
0: Mm. I'm crying over here as you're stating that. I think that hits so deeply as far as an attitude with which you chose to have during such a hard time. I'm imagining it, it didn't take long for the marketing agency to really peter out. I mean, because you really had nothing to give to it except in these little moments of like, no, I could do it. I could do it. What was that timeline as far as after she was born and things really like kind of going silent in your business so that you had the space to be like kind of ask these questions and figure it out for yourself? Like how long did that really take for you to, to get to that place of really understanding yourself and knowing the answers to those questions?
1: You know, it was interesting. I eased back into it as I could because I had a few major clients that I was I had the systems and I had the stuff and it was just kind of checking stuff off a list and that felt good some of the time. Yeah. And so she was born in early March and in June is when I decided this needs to change seriously somehow. So I'm either going to find a way to... What I thought at the time was like, delegate more, scale it, grow it big, so that I'm not in it as much, right? or find a way to do something else. And so that's when, of course, as these things happen, when the student is ready, the teacher appears, my first coach came on my radar. And I love the results that she had. I had never been through a funnel. I had never been in a Facebook group. I didn't know what any of this online stuff was. Again, ironic because I was an online marketing agency. <laughs> uh, <laughs> working with a different population of entrepreneurs. And I decided I needed to learn what she had to teach. And I invested in myself for the first time since college and grad school. Wow. Because I realized that I had been trying to figure this thing out on my own for free for 10 years. And it had gotten me where it had gotten me, which was... Some amount of freedom, but also building myself another job, like you said. And I was ready to freaking go big. Yeah. And so that allowing myself to finally be supported for the very first time to ask those questions to get the accountability and support rather than oh, I have a free mentor over here, or I'll just read another book. Like I had been doing that for 10 years. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's part of the journey. But it was time for me to put some real skin in the game of my own life. In the form of money, because that is the way I think, as it is for most of us, that it would actually show up for the thing and figure it out.
0: Yeah. What were some of your biggest discoveries about yourself and maybe about the way that you worked and about what you loved versus what you didn't love in the entrepreneurship journey in that first, in those first, like, let's say, couple of months of working with your mentor and really allowing yourself to rediscover who you were in this world of... And you know in my opinion and you know this if you've ever listened to any show on biz women rock which is like that your business becomes an extension of of your dharma of like the purpose that you want to have in this world and you get to impact people in this particular way and the business is a vehicle for that so it sounds like you were really rediscovering what that was for you through the vehicle of business so what what were some of those surprises for you what did you discover about yourself that you know you didn't like or didn't like or that yeah. were maybe new for you
1: I loved this process because I love possibility. Mm. I love it. It fuels me. Interestingly, what I discovered is that, okay, so when I was in grad school, I made a documentary for my thesis project that was about this horse farm in the town where I studied, Waco. I went to Baylor. I wanted to find out the story of this horse farm. Because I had heard rumors that it was this world famous horse farm that people flew in from the Middle Sheikhs flew in from the Middle East on their private jets, movie stars flew in to look at and buy these horses. And I had been a lifelong horse lover, but I had never owned one. It wasn't a part of our family story or situation. So I had kind of scraped together money here and there as a kid to ride as I could, but I had stuffed down the dream because it was not possible for me, right? Someone like me. So when it came time that I got to choose my own. Story I to make this documentary about, I chose this horse farm because that meant I got to spend six months out there hanging out and telling the story. Mm-hmm. Turns out it was these two women who had dedicated their lives to this like ancient breed of horse. Wow. Which perpetuating this rare bloodline forward. And they were the most beautiful, most friendly. They're like golden retrievers. Horses I'd ever been around, I knew they were different from the moment that I walked onto the farm. And so it was such a privilege and a, like a true joy and pleasure to tell this story. And it went on to air locally. It went on to air nationally on PBS. It won awards. And the name of this documentary was Life with Passion. Mm. Because I had studied movie and television, filmmaking, multimedia, all that, all that in undergrad and grad school, communications, media communications. Then I went on to teach it. And so I was always the nerd who was watching behind-the-scenes things, extras on DVDs when that yes. was the day, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> and one of my favorite movies was is Moulin Rouge. And I was watching the behind-the-scenes documentary about the same time I was working on my documentary and the director, Boz Lerman, said, I told this story because it was a story I needed to tell at the time. Mm-hmm. Because when you're a director of a feature film, you're going to spend years on something. So you better pick something that has meaning to you, right? Like you said. And I went, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I'm trying to work out in this documentary. Where's my life going? What's my career going to be about? How do I live a life with passion? So 10 years later, I'm asking myself the same questions. And when it comes time to name my business, that's the obvious choice.
0: I love what you said. We tell the stories that we need to hear. This is just so true. That just really rang true for me, literally. How has that played out for you in growing this business?
1: Yeah. So back to your last question. Yeah. What I discovered about myself was, I love the book, The Big Leap. Like we've probably all heard of it. We probably talked about it ad nauseum, whatever. It's worth it. That was the first time I read a book where I went, "He really gets me. (laughs) Yeah. This achiever in me who is sitting in my zone of excellence, and all I desire is to be working in my zone of genius and making this impact on the world, like you. Yep. So I went to my mentor and I said, how do I know what my zone of genius is? I sat down and I couldn't, didn't come to me right away. And she said, Christine, I don't think that's really how it works. <laughs> so I was like, fair, okay, putting the pressure on myself like I always have. So I started looking at what I was doing with my clients. And I was literally sitting with a client one day, one of the few in-person clients I had, and I'm strategizing with him about how to explode his business. And it just hit me like a light bulb. I'm so energized. I can do this all day long. Oh my gosh, I am damn good at this. Yeah. Seeing the possibility and then going, well, here are the simple strategies to make it happen. Yeah. And then if there's any mindset piece about why it can't or why you shouldn't or whatever, bringing out the empowerment and the motivation in that person. So then they believe it themselves. Mm. So then it went though, it, it was like, Oh, I obviously going to build a business around this. It just happens to be called coaching. Right. Yep. For me at this time. And so I, that summer began to put the pieces in place to take on my own first coaching clients. Cause what I realized is that the whole time I'd been running this agency, I'd always been trying to convince other people around me to be entrepreneurs. My mom, my boyfriends, like my college boyfriend was the first person I helped to quit his job. He was my first client <laughs> 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 because I believed in him when he didn't. And I was yeah. like, you're so talented. You can easily go replace your income. Yeah. I will help you do this. Let's go. Right. I love it. So I've been doing that for a decade already, but just most of the people I was trying to help didn't want the help. Yeah. Yeah. So I decided... Well,
0: let's to, go to the pool of people who actually want that help, right?
1: Exactly. Marketing <laughs> <And> then, 101. <laughs> right. I asked myself who that was and I realized that I was I was really passionate about taking a stand for other women who were feeling either stuck in a nine to five they couldn't find their way out of or feeling stuck because they created a job for themselves in their own businesses. Yeah. Right? Like yep. my experience. Hello, my story. Yep. So and then I was even better... At doing that than I was at generating, you know, millions of dollars worth of leads for these already established entrepreneurs.
0: Yeah, and it lit you up. Most importantly, it lit you up.
1: Exactly. I do yeah. it all day, every day, right? And and it worked. So within a couple of months, I had my first client. These women started quitting their jobs left and right. The women who came to me already stuck were. Finding clients or believing in themselves again were uh succeeding. Yeah. And doing it in a way that wasn't about working 60, 80 hours a week, you know, because that's what it means to be an entrepreneur. I called yep. yes on that, right? Yeah, not about the hustle.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you on that.
1: There you go. I hate
0: that quote by Lori Grenier who says, like, Oh, we quit our yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's <laughs> Christine's on the other end of the video right now, going, like
1: this. you know, that's in I my hate book. That. Someone just took a screenshot of it and said, thank you, Christine, for putting this quote in your book because I put the quote in there. And then I think the next line is, yeah, Lori, that's not what we're really about here. Like, I appreciate you, but not. you get to be a different kind. Yeah. Love you, Lori. So
0: if you don't know this quote, it's Lori Grenier, who is one of the women on Shark Tank. She's been on Shark Tank before and she's quoted as saying something like, entrepreneurs are people who quit their 40-hour-a-week job so that they can work for themselves for 80 hours a week. And I'm like, no, no, actually, that's not and that was my mindset in the early years of entrepreneurship. Right. I think most people totally. think that that's, you have to go through that gauntlet before you get to this treasured, beautiful zone of work less. And the only yeah. way to work less is to build this giant team who does all the work for you. And I'm like, there's so many other ways. <laughs> Just yeah. go directly there. Don't go through the gauntlet of working 100 hours a week. Do that's- not
1: pass 80 hours a week. Stop. Go. Jail. Yes. Whatever. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yes. And that's such an old school mentality. It is. I mean, it real, but recognizing like... That was the way it had to be, I think, for a lot of people for a long time. And so I think that's in our DNA. And actually what my next book is going to be about is how to learn to think like an entrepreneur instead of an employee. Yes, We're all trained so well to think like employees. And so when we take that mindset and those neural pathways and we try to apply them to entrepreneurship, What do we do? We create another job for ourselves that we call our own business.
0: And I'll give you this example. I kind of touched upon this before. I have a lot of clients who hear the word scale and they think they have a very successful business, but they are working it like crazy. Mm -hmm. Like they're working so many hours. And so they think, well, the only like, I have to scale. That's what I'm, I should do. And scale looks like more employees. It looks like, and because of that, more revenue, because of that, more responsibility, because of that, larger marketing budget. I mean, all of the things, right? For a grander business. And if one of the first things I do is burst that bubble. I'm like, that doesn't need to be your definition of scale. I mean scale can literally happen in any way you want it to. Let's talk about what it is you want to grow and then let's back into how to make that happen in a way that is in line with what you want and how you want it, right? Yeah. That's why you're awesome. Obviously Christine and I can get on our soapbox <laughs> about this. But I want to I want to circle back around to all of this because this is the juice of what you and I both talk the uh, like our women through, right? That you get to design the life that you really want. And we as entrepreneurs can use that, the business as a vehicle to do that. What would you say because you're speaking to and and the women listening here are all entrepreneurs. They are all women who are doing their thing, right? In your experience, what are some of the most common messages mindset-wise that you have to deal with, with your clients in order to shift them past those stopping moments?
1: Yeah. So one that pops up all the time, whether they've worked through it already or they think they've worked through it already or not, is it has to be hard.
0: Yes. Uh, Right? Yep.
1: Something that life has to be hard. Making money has to be hard. I can get to a certain point of revenue, but then anything beyond that has to be hard to your point about scale, right? Scaling from six to seven, let's say. I've heard so many people who I follow and admire say that was much easier than getting to six. But our mindset is if it took took me this many hours of working to get to six, I literally don't have enough hours to get to seven, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that to your point about, I have to put in 80 in order to get to the point where I'm working 20 or whatever. If our brains attach that level of work and effort to that degree of success, they're not going to let us back off (laughs) once we've reached a certain point it's not safe right if it took me 80 hours to get to 6 then i can't suddenly give myself permission without a whole lot of work and support to go oh no now it's time to let off the brakes because when i let off the brakes that's when things are going to take off or let off the accelerator that's when things are going to take off it's just not how it works and so i think like it has to be hard is a huge one along with i have to work a lot of hours along with like i'm not good enough, worthy, deserving for this to be easy. Mm. Right?
0: Yeah.
1: Because who am I when my parents struggled? Who am I when my grandparents struggled? Who am I when people sacrificed their whole lives and these are the stories that they told me about how life was to sit around with no makeup and a messy bun and no bra and make a ton of money? Yeah. Right? So it just, it's, I really see it as like a -a (laughs) whack-a-mole i think we have these all have these maybe one maybe two core stories and self-doubt is another huge one yeah right trusting yourself trusting yourself to go to the next level without sacrificing everything else in your life without burning out without becoming someone that you hate right we're not even talking about money mindset yet yeah But what I find so often, especially like with clients that I get to work with over a period of time, is it's just... We always think it's something different. Oh, no, I'm dealing with this. But typically, it's just that whack-a-mole from Chuck E. Cheese (laughs) popping up in a different place. Same mole. Yep. Going, oh, let me try to get you to stop over here. And so... But so often we say, oh, no, it's just about a different strategy. Mm. It's just about... I just got to... An email this morning from a client who was like, I think I need to throw several thousand dollars into my website now. And I said, Well, website has never been how you've gotten any clients or anything that's felt good to you. You have a website, but you've never made that the center of your business and your business is successful. So why are we going this direction? Right? So thinking it's about something outside of yourself, regardless of what that story is,
0: yeah,
1: is probably the biggest umbrella. mindset piece that I could identify.
0: That's huge. I mean, everything in there, I'm like nodding my head yes at. Not only because I have experienced it. Like, let's be straight up. Let's call a spade a spade. Like literally every single one of those. I'm like, oh, here's my story. Here's my story. Here's my story. And you know, you have to work through that stuff and you're constantly working through that. But also because every single one of my clients, every single one of my clients has those moments where strategy and confusion... At whatever, needing to be busy about something, mask something else that's going on inside. And it's all internal, right? I call it building your business from the inside out. Like you got, you have to deal the, with the inside in order for the external to show up the way that you want it to show up,
1: right? 100% agreed. Cheers to that.
0: Uh, so I want to make sure as we conclude to wrap this back around into your larger story, Obvi- it's obvious in that nice little interlude that you're super passionate about really being there with your clients, with these women who are really wanting to do something really good and create really powerful stuff for themselves and for the world around them. You lit up this whole time talking about like all these things. What has the process of doing that again and again for clients over all these years and growing the way in which you're able to do that in your business? How has doing that and allowing that light to shine and continuing to, to find out your own passion, your own way of being able to make an impact. How has that transitioned and transformed you from the stillbirth of your daughter from 2015? Since this was really a birth that came out of that experience.
1: Yes. I think it's sometimes easier for people to reflect that back to you because you're in it. Right. And it's been four plus years at the time of this recording. But I think my parents have both told me that what has happened is that I have become the person I was as a young girl again. Mm. What a great
0: reflection.
1: It is. That I was a natural leader, but I called bossy. I got called bossy and worse and all of these things that happened to us as women. Yep. And that somehow Maeve's death helped me give myself permission to like live again as my true self. And that is one of the most Grateful lessons that I can take from the grief, because I believe that you know we grieve because we wish something was different that's what grief is, but I also believe that grief is inexplicably and inextricably combined with gratitude. Like mm-hmm. Any time we grieve it's because we're grateful for an experience, we're grateful for a person we're grateful, right while also wishing it was different yeah. here and now. And so that's something that I've done a lot of exploration around. And I think for me that the gratitude is truly moving into my life's work, being able to work with people one-on-one, then being able to expand it by doing something like a book, by going and working with smaller groups. And then I know that next year in-person stages are going to be the next expansion of my business because I love to speak. I was a musical theater nerd. And like, (laughs) I've also been kind of housebound with babies for the past couple of years. I have a two and a half year old rainbow baby that I got pregnant with about two months after starting this business. So my life has been different, right? Yeah.
0: And as (laughs) we speak, you're literally like days away from getting induced for your, for your third labor, right? Oh my God.
1: Exactly. Right. So hence the like... 2020 is the speaking because we all know what life's going to look like over the next (laughs) six months or so. But I think that these lessons are, I can, I mean, like you said, I can all tie them back to that moment four years ago. And I really identify with this, that the work that I've done on myself and that I get to do with my clients is really more about a rediscovery than it is about a Becoming someone different because I believe that we're all born and with and given these unique gifts, and that's who we are. But our job is to continually uncover them, develop them, integrate them throughout our life, and that most of us, societally and in our jobs and whatever, are not giving ourselves the permission or equipped to do that. And for me, entrepreneurship and for my clients, entrepreneurship is the vehicle through which, right. We want to self-actualize.
0: Yes, And
1: um, 75% of my clients who've come to me in jobs have quit as a result of our work together. And then not to mention all the ones that I've helped stay out, right? Who are already out. And so I think it's just like a testament to these women being willing to show up and do the work because it's not, everybody comes capable, right? It's just that combination of beginning to develop the self-belief and the self-trust When that mindset is strong, the strategies are simple. Yes. That's it.
0: Yep. To conclude, I would love to hear your advice that you would give to anyone listening who either has gone through something traumatic, is experiencing it right now, whether it's big or little in the sense of just tough times and tough things and tough moments. Which I feel like I can confidently say 100% of people listening have experienced. Okay. So I would love to hear your advice to any woman right now who's going through something or is in the aftermath of something that has been really traumatic for her and what she can do to move through it.
1: I came back to this quote from Charles Swindoll in the days after. Maeve died. I think my ninth grade or eighth grade teacher gave me this poorly photocopied because it had been copied so many times. Uh-huh. Yep. Piece of paper with this quote that says, I believe that 90% of our lives are what we choose to do with the 10% that happened to us. Mm. That's the paraphrase. You can look it up. Yep. Carl attitude. And that gave me a lot of comfort as well as a great sense of power that I could create whatever meaning I wanted to out of this. Not that it ever had to make sense to me. Not that I ever had to be okay with this or would have chosen it, but that I could take this 10% of what had happened to me and I could... Turn it into this 90% of a life and a mission and an impact, both through the work that I do and through the income I'm able to generate and how that changes my family's life and other families' lives, right? I know we're probably all here for that exact same reason. Yeah. That mattered and that was congruent and that didn't mean it had to be perfect, but it meant that I knew I was finally living into the potential and the dreams that I had had for myself mm-hmm. and that I was using this as, as kind of fuel for my fire, instead of the thing that drove me to lock myself in my room, drink all day and all night and let it define me that way. Cause that was another very valid choice. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Let's be honest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think recognizing that, that it comes down to choice. And that we could wax on about the power of the human spirit and all of that. But at the end of the day, it is a choice. And if you look for examples of that, I'm just one. You're going to find a lot of examples of resilience. And also of, as Napoleon Hill says, discovering your other self in a moment of tragedy. The worst thing that happens to you can help you uncover and discover your other self. There are a lot of historical and contemporary figures who would say the same thing. That's another episode, right? But those are the two things that I hung on to, and would continue to hang a hat that um, I hang a hat on, even though I don't really wear hats. (laughs) (laughs) Because I got what you mean. I got what you mean.
0: Oh, I love it, Christine. I feel like you and I could speak for hours, and every moment would be such a moment of wisdom for me and connection. So I just really want to thank you so much for sharing yourself and your story and who you are with every single woman listening. I know myself, I'll speak for myself and I'm pretty sure I can speak for everyone listening. I am better for it. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Hey girl, I see you. I know you have been working so hard to grow your business and to grow a business that means something to you and to grow a business that supports the lifestyle that is important for you to live. And I know that it has been a challenge. All of the good things have come with all of the challenges. And I also know that you're not alone. You have support available all around you to help you along this journey, to help you make it a joyful journey, because guess what, it never ends. There is no end point in this business game. If you are ready to make some serious moves in your business, if you need a shot of strategy and support and accountability in order to get you to where you want to go and in order to manifest that big vision that you have for your business and for your life, let me know. I'm here to support you as a coach and strategist. You can fill out a quick application to work together at bizwomenrock.com forward slash work with Katie. I've opened up just a few more spots over the next couple of months for clients who are ready to make a move. It just takes a few minutes to fill out the quick application at bizwomenrock.com forward slash work with Katie.